Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Churches do services like this. I think uh, a lot of times the hope and, and, and the expectation and sometimes the result is that uh, the people of the church, the people that come, they, they get ramped up and uh, there's this kind of emotional high that happens from the messages and the songs that are sung and it, and it kind of sets the church off in a, in a trajectory of, of some kind of renewed um, enthusiasm within the church. But, but oftentimes what you find happen when there's that emotional drive is that emotions come and go. And that happens in the church as well. And so what I've tried to do in these talks and what my prayer has been in these talks is that it would be less of an emotional drive and more of a refocusing, going back to the source, that being God's word kind of drive and and, and a sustained uh, refocusing of our hearts on, on the gospel and what the gospel can do in every area and every sphere of our lives. And so I hope that you're seeing that this week as we go through this message, these messages. And, and tonight we get to see that in a, a new area, that being the area of our work, what our hands find to do. And so as we open God's word tonight, let me pray for us in our time um, in his word. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, I do pray, God, that this would be a time of refocusing, that this would be a time for this church specifically God, to renew her first love in the gospel, Lord. God, we thank you for the amazing things that you have done in this church over the years, Lord. And God, Lord, we pray that those amazing things would only continue in the days ahead, Lord. And God, even as the individuals of this church think about their work, think about their labors, think about the things that they spend their time doing, God, I pray that that you would come, that you would change it, that you would help see, help them see how the gospel really does have something to say about our work, how Jesus changes what our hands and feet, our minds and our mouths find to do, Lord. God, would you do that during this time? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how was your Tuesday? Awesome. Some people had, is anybody tired already this week? Anybody, any amens? I see some hands in the air. All right. How many of you think that, judged on how the week's going so far, you're going to be able to come back tomorrow night? Okay. So far. Now, who knows about tomorrow? How many of you woke up yesterday morning excited for the work week ahead? Any of those? No, not, not as many there. I mean, if so, praise the Lord. I'm glad for you. But for most of us, it seems like that's not the case. That's not the case. Maybe you feel a little bit like Dolly Parton, 9 to 5. I got the lyrics in a slide. Y'all remember the song? Yeah? Okay. 9 to 5. Working 9 to 5, what a way to make a living. Barely getting by, it's all taken and no given. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. Thank you, Dolly. America's sweetheart right there. I remember, I remember several years ago. Now, now the assumption is that as a pastor, I have no idea what work actually looks like. I, I get that. And so I, I'm going to try to dispel that rumor that I have actually worked. Um, I remember several years ago when I was still in seminary, working two jobs, newly married and had our first baby on the way. 
I was working at a bank as a teller. And one of the things they never tell you when you go to work for a big bank is that your job isn't just to take money and give money. They also expect you to push their products. They also expect you to be a salesman to everybody that walks through the door. Now, this in and of itself wasn't a problem for me. It only became an issue for me in the work there as a teller when I was expected to try to convince people who had thousands and thousands of dollars in debt that they needed a credit card. And it just got in my crawl. Like I couldn't handle it. And what made it even more difficult was that my boss, she was a Christian. And she was a Southern Baptist at that. And she was on me though. She was on me all the time to do a better job of pushing the product or convincing people to get credit cards. I remember one morning that it all blew up in the break room where I ended up just shouting at her, Jesus wouldn't want me forcing credit cards on people. It's unethical. (laughs) Now, hopefully I've learned to keep my cool a little bit better since then. But it paints an interesting picture of how often we, as Christians, can feel a certain disconnect between our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that we do. How oftentimes as Christians we can feel a disconnect between what happens on Sunday and what goes on in our lives Monday through Friday. And I want to say from the outset that when I'm talking about work, I'm not just talking about those of you who have nine to five jobs. I'm talking to those of you who are stay-at-home moms, those of you who are retired, those of you who are students. Because each of us in our lives in one way or another are working. We're working at something. We're working at doing something. We are putting our hand to some kind of plow. For some, it may, it may, it may look like building parts. And for others, it may look like selling a product. For some, it may look like raising children. And for some, it may look like caring for our world in, in retirement. No matter what our days are spent laboring for, we, I, I think, all have the same questions. Questions like, what is the purpose of all that I put my hand or my mind or my heart into? Why is my work so difficult and is there anything that I can do about it? Can I stay true to my values and still advance in my field or serve others well? How do I make the necessary difficult choices in the course of a day? Friends, these questions at their base level are not new questions. They are, in fact, age-old questions in one way or another. Questions that humans have been dealing with since the fall. So tonight, I want us to try to come at some of these questions. And ultimately, just to tell you the point of my sermon, my plan from the very beginning is this. I want us to see that the gospel, that is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his great work of redemption has actually massive implications and motivations for our work as humans. That the gospel of Jesus Christ actually has massive implications for what you do day in and day out. Now, let me just tell you, this is how the typical faith and work talk normally goes. God made you with a wonderful job to do that brings meaning and purpose into your ordinary life. Every day we have the incredible opportunity to bring the holy love of God into the life of the world around us by the way we do our daily work. 
And we hear that, and most of us roll our eyes and say, that sounds like a nice theory, but you should come work at my job one day. I understand, though, why pastors say things like this. Because as pastors, we don't necessarily want to start with some doom and gloom. We want to be encouraging and uplifting to people in their daily task. We want to keep God, not Satan, or our boss, sometimes seem like one and the same. We don't want to let them be the center. We want to keep God at the center of all of it. But tonight, tonight from a gospel perspective, instead of of just trying to encourage you with some cute little sayings, I want to connect with our daily experience and acknowledge our suffering a lot of times in our work. Acknowledge our need for Jesus to shape our labors, whatever they might be. And the way I really want to come at it is to think about it in four stages. And just really just to think about the Bible itself, the story of creation, the fall, redemption, and and ultimate restoration. So we're going to look at work through these four categories, and and I'll have four points. If you're the note-taking type, you can write these down. Point one will be creation and conference calls. Point two, briars and bosses. Point three, Christ and coffee. And point four, glory and glue guns. I was telling Megan earlier that yesterday, last night my, my points with the and meetings point was, that was a real hit, so I'm glad that I'm able to keep them going. Point one, creation and conference calls. Now, last night you'll remember I began the sermon um, as we thought through God's good intention for the church. Looking specifically at God creating the world with his very word. You remember that? How did God create the, wor- the world? With his word. He spoke it into existence. But tonight, I want to return back to those opening chapters of the Bible as we think about work. And as we ask, why did God create? And what was God himself experiencing in his creation? So go ahead and open to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. So that should probably be on page 1 for most of you. Genesis 1.1. Let's look at what it says. If you still haven't brought your Bible, you can still follow along on the screen. All right, this is, this is God's word. The very beginning, Genesis 1, 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. A very familiar passage to many of us, of course, but notice that the first thing that you ever see God doing is working. The first thing that God ever does from, from our perspective, from what we know, is that He's working. He's creating and He's molding and He's shaping this physical world out of nothing. It says that the world was without form and void, meaning that it was chaos. And here comes God, this master craftsman, and makes into something, this world that was in chaos, into something useful and beautiful. He takes the chaos and the void and he turns it into rhythm and beauty. There's almost a a musicalness to, to the opening chapters of the Bible. We see he does this in two very specific ways. Ways that reach really into our own gifting, I believe. 
Have you ever noticed this? Then those first three days, what is God doing? He's working and he's taking the chaos and he's giving it form. He organizes it. He orders it. Stars go here. Planets go here. Water, you stay here. Sky, you go up there. And for all of you who really can't stand when a fork gets put in the spoon compartment, this is the part you love. Because God is organizing this thing. He's putting this thing together. He's shaping it and giving it order. We see that here that God is a God of order. But he's also a God who grows. You notice that in those next three days, he goes from ordering things and giving them shape and form. And now he begins to grow them. He begins to nurture them. He begins to bring life into them. He calls forth plants and animals, birds and insects. And he fills this creation that he's ordered perfectly with living and breathing, including us. And all along the way, he shows his care as he tends to his creation. And we see that God is not just a God of order, but he is a God of life. And as he does this, you learn two things about God's work. It's characterized by joy and by service. Do you remember how the creation story ends in Genesis 1, verse 31? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Do you see what God is doing here? What his creation is saying to us? Why he created? It says that his creation was very good. And friends, that was no mistake on God's part. It wasn't like he made everything and he's like, huh, I made something look good. No, he made it very good on purpose. He had a reason for making it very good. God joyfully made it all good. It was God's delight to create something good. It brought him joy. But friends, the question is, did he need that joy? Did he need that joy? No. And this is where the service aspect comes into play. He didn't need that joy. God, the triune God, that is God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, had been experiencing eternal joy from eternity past in their eternal relationship. God did not need us. He did not need to create, but he chose to. He chose to to display his glory. He chose to to serve us in displaying his glory. It was God's great service. It was their joyful work to display this glory. And it's for our benefit as God's creatures so that we can see his glory, experience his glory. His creation and work is a joyful, exaltating service to us. And friends, it didn't stop there. No, God hands this down to his people. His image bearers, right? We don't have time to read it all, but in Genesis 2, we are told that God, this God who creates, now gives this crown creation, Adam and Eve, the same job. Have you ever thought about that? This God who works, creates these two people, his crown creation, and he says, now you work. Adam is called to exercise this same dominion. We see it as he names the animals. Tilling the land and joyfully keeping guard over God's good creation is his responsibility. And then Eve. 
Eve is called to nurture and care for life. To even have life created within her womb. She is the one who's given the task of tending and cultivating the life of God's creation. And so we see that when God makes image bearers to reflect who he is, he makes them primarily as what? Workers. He gives them jobs to do. And so we see that as human humans, we were made to work. It's a very part of who we are. This means that we're not made to sit around our couch and watch, watch reruns of Judge Judy all day. This means that we weren't made to avoid and try to find the easiest and least complicated jobs that we could. This means that we weren't created to despise putting our hand to the plow. Whether it be raising kids at home or raising your investment account in the office. You were made to work, to build, and accomplish things. Friends, you're a worker because God's a worker and you're made in his image. It's a weird thing to say this, but maybe, just maybe those conference calls that you hate so much are part of God's plan for your life. Maybe, just maybe, those meetings that you hate going to and all those forms that you hate filling out and all of those runny noses that you're tired of wiping, maybe, just maybe, they are part of God's plan to show you his greatness as his worker. Have you ever really thought about that? Work is not a consequence of sin. Work is not a consequence of, consequence of sin. Adam and Eve were called to work before the fall. And work was given to them as a gift. The first job God gives was to be a gardener. Called to take of the earth and tend and cultivate the land. We see in these early chapters of the Bible that Adam and Eve were shaping the physical world with their hands. So that the rest of the image bearers that they would bring forth would have this beautiful and good place to live. Work was their joy and the service of others. God gave them a real role to play and a real work to do. But friends, it didn't last, did it? It didn't last. As we move away from Genesis 1 and 2 and turn to Genesis 3, we come to our second point, briars and bosses. See, God, he had this amazing plan for us and for our calling to work with his creation. But in Adam and Eve, taking the bait... From the serpent to rebel against God, to go their own way, to make their own choice, to to forge their own path. Creation along with themselves became cursed. It became cursed with the curse of death. The image of God, though not lost, became marred and muddy and broken. And all the goodness was taken away, including from our work. So when God comes to Adam and Eve in judgment, what is the one thing that he judges? What is the one thing that he curses? It was their work. You never notice that. Look at Genesis 3, 16 through 19 at what God says after they rebel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply, multiply your pain and childbearing. 
In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Friends, how bad does your work stink? You say, oh, in so many ways, Pastor. Well, it all comes back to this. Remember, back in Genesis 1, God gave Adam and Eve two main jobs. To make image bearers and to cultivate the earth. And the rebellion ruined that work. They can't reflect his image like they used to. As Eve now creates new image bearers, she will do so in pain. They were designed to cultivate in joy and service. They were designed to tend the land, to work the land, and for that work to be a work of joy and of service. Now that cultivating will become prickly. At best, and outright deadly at worst. We see so clearly that when we think about how the work now changes in the garden, and think about it, Adam's life now becomes a life Of toil. Of toil. Now by toil, I don't mean physical exertion. That was present before the fall. And was always called to work the ground, to keep it and protect it and cultivate it. No, toil here means pain and strain and physical suffering and fatigue. What did God say about Adam now that he rebelled? Adam's brow will now sweat as he works. God said that. And and to shift it to our own day don't we experience the same? So we exert ourselves in work, no matter what it is. We feel the failure of our own bodies, don't we? Whether it's tilling the ground or trading stocks. We see the physical toil in the aching muscles of field laborers or construction workers. In the weary feet of factory workers and stay-at-home moms. In the posture or carpal tunnel of those who sit still and type at a desk all day long. We see the wrinkles and gray hairs that we attribute to stressful conversations or micromanaging bosses. As toil is to the body, frustration is to the soul. And what's more, after the fall, the garden produced not only crops and flowers... But thorns and thistles too. And I think we still today experience that frustration. Don't we? We experience the frustration of work. And I think we experience it really in two different ways. First, in the short term, any task that we put our hands to may fall apart or fail. Even if we do everything just right. I'm reminded a few years ago when I tried to build Megan a bedside table. I put it together. I feel like I did everything just right. Picked it up off his side and set it up. And the thing just fell over. They just fell over and fell to pieces. And I thought I did it just right. And getting to the heart of the matter, even beyond that, in the long term, even if our work is successful, even if we, at the end of our working days, have a successful career, we got money in the bank, even if all of it goes according to plan, it still lacks ultimate meaning. 
We're still left feeling empty in some way or another when we look to our work for our hope. Now think about it. That same Solomon who, who commended hard, hard work so highly in the book of Proverbs also tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that without God, all of our striving, all of our work is vanity. Everything we build will vanish and disappear and burn up in the fire. And this doesn't just end with the actual task either. Our work, as it involves others, is marred as well. Some of you know what I mean. Some of you got conflict in your work relationships right now. Some of you got things that you're not looking forward to going back to the office tomorrow. Sin also brings toil and frustration into our daily work because it disrupts the relationships that we have with those who work alongside us, those who are in charge of us, and those who we are in charge of. How often does this result in workplace mistreatment and injustice? As one pastor put it, just as Adam and Eve felt shame and covered themselves because they knew they no longer had unfiltered and selfless intimacy, so we are alienated from each other. We work in a world of distrust and fear. I wonder if anybody can testify tonight. Like, you, we work in a world of distrust and fear. How many of us in our jobs have wondered if, if somebody's going to stab us in the back or we're going to get fired for something? Even our relationship with ourself gets messed up by sin. Our sense of identity and motivation gets disrupted. What does that look like? Well, that works like workaholism. Making an idol out of your daily work and investing your ultimate purpose in it. For others, it swings the other way and becomes this thing of sloth. Wasting our time, ignoring our calling to exert ourselves and take good care of God's world. Whether that means not working at all or zoning out because we regard our task as menial and beneath us. I don't know how many of you have ever had jobs like that. you thought, man, I'm so much better than this job. <laughs> I don't need to be doing this right here, right now. And we just zone out. We just zone out. We completely and totally ignore our responsibilities. And so we get to this place where we find that our work, our laboring, our putting our hand to creating and cultivating what was meant to be once a joyful exercise has become this difficult thing. This difficult thing that sometimes is just a task of survival. It was meant to serve other people, but now it becomes only about helping ourselves. We find that the fall ruined all that God created our work to be. But then, but God, but God sent his son. And this is where we get to the heart of the matter, friends. We get to point three, Christ and coffee. You know, I, I love that coffee mug I see every once in a while. It gets me every time. I like it. It says, all I need is a little coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Have y'all seen that one? I like that one. Oh, yeah. Father's Day's coming up. Maybe I get one of those. All I need is a little coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Ain't that the truth? But even if God hadn't given us coffee, we really do need a whole lot of Jesus, don't we? And this is what we find when it comes to our work too. See, the glory of it all is that when we open the pages of the New Testament, we find that Jesus came to be what Adam failed to be. 
the perfect image bearer of God. Sorry about that. And that's why in Romans 5, Paul talks about Jesus becoming the second Adam who comes to be the perfect representation of God on earth. In my church in Roanoke, we sing the song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And the second verse goes like this. It says, See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Even in work, this is what Christ does. We find that Jesus is the true and perfect image bearer of God. And he came to be all that we have failed to be. All that Adam failed to be. And just like Adam, Jesus came with a job to do. He was going to show us how to be image bearers even in our work. Friends, how often do we forget that Jesus' first job was not as a preacher or a teacher or a healer or a leader. His first job was a blue-collar carpenter. And he did it for a long time. I mean, we don't know how long, but it was a while. His first job, he worked as a carpenter. I mean, have you contemplated that? That the God of the universe... The creator of the universe comes to earth here to save his people from their sins. And what does he do? He works an ordinary job. Why? Well, at the heart of it, it goes back to the principle that we thought about the other night. That Christ never calls us to anything that he himself doesn't do first. Christ never calls us to do something that he himself is not willing to do first. And this includes our work. As for Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, well, Jesus eventually transitioned out of that job, showing us that our job is not forever. And what did he transition to? Well, first he transitioned into teaching and preaching and healing for sure. But ultimately, he made his move toward the cross. Ultimately, he gave his life over in death, allowing himself, allowing himself to be beaten and mocked and scorned, and spat upon, and ridiculed, and humiliated. And friends, this is the real work that Christ came to do. All this while his work of redemption, of salvation, was defined by joy and by service. Do you see the connection? Just as in the beginning, when God created in joy and service, So when Christ comes, his work of recreating is a work of joy and of service. You remember Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he gave himself to the work of redemption. For the joy set before him, he allowed the thorns of Adam to become his own. And it was not the thistles that stuck in his hand, but it was the rusty Roman nails that pierced them through. The carpenter ends up on the tree. Friends, the gospel is a gospel of work, not of ours, but of Christ's work. The work of the Son of God taking on a task that you and I, we could never complete. Jesus was the worker that we could not be. So friend, I wonder if you feel underpaid and underappreciated in your job. Consider Jesus. 
His own people hung him upon a tree. And it was for them and for us that he stayed faithful. Because he knew God's will and God's glory was worth it. Friends, this is where we need to settle our minds in the hardship of our work. Friends, until Jesus comes back, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle to have joy and service in our work. There's no way around it. This world is still in sin. This curse is still upon our work, making it feel pointless and difficult. And sometimes just downright impossible. But the gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected puts our work into right perspective because it puts us back in a right relationship with our God with our creator so we still experience the disruption of our world because of the fall of course and we all struggle against the power of sin that clings to our own flesh but we work now with contentment and courage and coffee But for real, because of what Christ has done, friends, we can even rest in our work. Do you remember that time in the Gospels when the teachers of the law, they come and get on Jesus because his disciples are eating on the Sabbath and they're pulling the grains from the stalk on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at me and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of rest. And what that means for us is that in our labor, in our toil, when there is sweat upon our brow, we can be at rest because we know that he has done what we could never do. He has done the hardest job that could ever be done. And so while we're doing menial jobs, while we're doing jobs that are sometimes not fulfilling, we can rest in him. Because we know that God is at work within us. As Matthew 6 tells us not to worry, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And so as contentment, not in work, but in God. It strengthens us for daily work. The hope of Christ in us actually transforms the way that we work. As Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. When we say that Christians work from a gospel worldview, it does not mean that they are constantly speaking about Christian teaching in their work, though that's a good thing. Instead, though, think of the gospel as a set of glasses through which you look at everything else in the world. So, friends, I wonder, do you have a gospel perspective on your work? That Jesus died and rose again to give you a brand new identity, to give you a security and a peace and a comfort that can abide even when your work feels useless or tiresome or difficult. This means that because of Jesus' work of redeeming and restoring us, that we can even turn the most mundane task into a God-glorifying work. This means that the Christian businessman or woman works for more than just cash in the bank but seeks to use their skills for the common good. This means that the firefighter and the nurse and the teacher, while they grow weary of doing good, they remember that God has promised to bring fruit from their labors 
And they're glorifying God by saving and mending and educating God's image bearers. This means that the stay-at-home mom or the nanny or the retired engineer are all displaying God's glorious grace when they are long-suffering and flexible and determined in, in their keeping of the blessings of God that he has given them. And in all of it, because of the salvation of Jesus, because of his great work, we can rest. Even in the midst of busy schedules and deadlines and Monday morning traffic, we can rest. Friends, because the greatest work has already been done. And all that lies ahead for us, all that lies ahead for us, it isn't work, it's worship. Which brings me to the last point, glory and glue guns. See, for so many of us as we work, as we work hard at what we do, or as we grow weary and feel like sometimes giving up, I think it's all attributed to our losing sight of what and why we are doing what we are doing. And what we need What we need, the hope that we need is found in what has already been accomplished and what has been secured for us. So friends, this evening, if you're tired, if you arrived with an aching back or you're already calculating in your mind how many more days until vacation or retirement, I want to close tonight by casting your eyes even further up. Even further up to the greatest retirement. You remember what God promises us in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance, what kind of inheritance? To an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. Talk about some social security. God, even now, in your labors, in your trials, in your work, no matter how menial, how pointless, how unproductive they may seem, has promised that through Jesus, we are going to receive more than we could ever imagine. That in eternity, we are going to be filled with beauty that is unimaginable. Because we're going to be standing in the presence of our King. And whatever we are given to do on the new heavens and the new earth, it will cause no more aches, no more hurts, no more suffering, no more turmoil in relationships. But it'll be worship. An inheritance that is kept for us that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That will never expire or depreciate or be taken by the IRS. So friends, when it feels impossible to keep on working. And you can't find any joy in it. Remember, you're not home. This is not it. God is not done with this world yet and there is still one act of the story that is left. 
As C.S. Lewis said, the more Christians look forward to the future world, the more effective workers they become in the present world as agents of God's love and holiness. So friends, tomorrow morning, when you step into whatever you're going to step into, remember that Jesus is coming back. And his work will continue as he makes all things new. Do you notice that phrase? It doesn't say that he's going to make all new things. No, it says he's going to make all things new. That he's going to redeem and restore. That he's going to set all the wrongs that right. He's going to make everything sad become untrue. And all the thorns and thistles of this world will be removed. Then God will be on earth with his people and we will reflect his image properly the way that we were meant to back in the garden. Friends, he will redeem work the way that it should be. Where it will be fruitful and things won't fall apart like that bedside table. Where it will always be a joy for us to serve others. The triumph of God's love someday is our hope now. It is a future grace that we look forward to that propels us to obedience in these days, that propels us to have hope, to have peace, to have comfort in whatever our hand finds to do. May it guide your work, your labors, no matter what they may be, so that we can say with Paul that by the blood of Jesus Christ, that no matter what we do, it will all be to the glory of God. Let us pray. God, we thank you. God, that, 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 that you have given us work to do, Lord. God, I just want to pray right now for any who are here, who are maybe even finding a hard, having a hard time finding work to do. Maybe those who would like to be doing something, Lord, but for whatever reason they are not able to, Lord. God, for those who are here who are struggling in their job, who just want to quit and give up, Lord, as they discern, is this what you want them to do? For those who feel called to a specific vocation, who feel called to to be this or that, and Lord, who are pursuing it, God. God, there are so many different situations in this room, Lord, as it relates to our labors, God. So Lord, I ask, God, that you would give us rest in you that we would see that the greatest work has already been done on our behalf and that we have unhindered openness to the Father that we have unimpeded access to the God who is above all and in all and through all so God I pray and ask that you would sustain us as we work that you would sustain us not with some frivolous hope, some frivolous saying, some little quippy saying to get us through the day, but Lord, that we would be sustained by your word where we see Christ. That we would be sustained by Jesus and his love for us perfectly displayed in the cross and the empty tomb. Sustain us, Lord. Would you do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we have a...
opportunity now to, to respond to God's word. Like I said, I know many of you are facing hard things in your work, facing difficult situations. Now's the time for you just to lay those things at the feet of the cross and plead and ask for God to give you wisdom, to give you comfort and to give you peace. And he promises to do so. So as we sing now together, I invite you to do that as you feel led. Lynn and I will both be here at the front if you'd like to talk with someone. Let us stand as we sing together. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.